welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome to you. If you are visiting or new this morning, it can be a big deal to come to church. Um, we would love to know that you are here, so you can go online and fill out a connection card. Someone from our staff will contact you. We'd love to take you out for a beverage of your choice, Zoom call, walk, whatever is comfortable for you, um, and just get to know you a little bit. A uh, couple things to orient you to the space this morning. Thank you for wearing masks. We will continue to follow state and CDC guidelines. Um, parents in the room, if you at any point during the gathering need to sneak out, the nursery is available for you um, to spend time with kids or downstairs in the twos and threes room. Um, I think, is that all the things? Great. Um, well, for our call to worship this morning, this is entitled On Generosity by Walter Brueggemann. So would you receive these words? On our own, we conclude, there is not enough to go around. We are going to run short of money, of love, of grades, of publications, of sex, of beer, of members, of years, of life. We should seize the day, seize our goods, seize our neighbor's goods, because there is not enough to go around. And in the midst of our perceived deficit, you come. You come giving bread in the wilderness. You come giving home to exiles. You come giving futures to the shutdown. You come giving Easter joy to the dead. You come fleshed in Jesus. And we watch while the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor dance and sing. We watch. And we take food we did not grow, and life we did not invent, and future that is gift and gift and gift, and families and neighbors who sustain us when we did not deserve it. It dawns on us, late, rather than soon, that you give food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. By your giving, break our cycles of imagined scarcity. Override our presumed deficits. Quiet our anxieties of lack. Transform our perpetual field to see the abundance. Mercy upon mercy, blessing upon blessing. Sink your generosity deep into our lives, that your muchness may expose our false lack, that endlessly receiving we may endlessly give, so that the world may be made Easter new. Without greedy lack, but only wonder, without coercive need, but only love, without destructive greed, but only praise, without aggression and invasiveness, all things Easter new, all around us, toward us, and by us, all things Easter new. Finish your creation in wonder, love, and praise. Amen. 
If you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Uh, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, we'll be in the book of 2 Corinthians today, chapters 8 and 9. By the way, my name's Micah, if we have not met. I'm very glad that you are here. We're glad that you're here. It's been fun getting to see you all again and be in the room together. Uh, grateful for that. We are in week three of a series called Proximate. And we're looking at the letters of Paul to the church in Corinth and asking, is there any wisdom there about what it means to gather again, what it means to be in the same room together, what it means to be near one another, proximate to one another, as it were. Uh, obviously, because we're going to study this, we believe that there is and there are uh, bits of wisdom there, so excited to, to find them today. Um, last week, just to catch you up, if, you, if you're new with us, we talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul opens the letter talking about being comfort for and with one another. So he says, you've experienced the comfort of God so that you can comfort those around you, those who are near you. Um, and this, this uh, I believe, this really shows us and paints a picture of what God is like, that this is the way God works. Um, nothing is uh, uh, for God's own gain necessarily, but so that we might give comfort to others. God brings comfort to us. So um, there's this generative nature. There's a, the actions of God are always for and uh, exponential, multiplicative, gener generous, uh, actually. And so uh, this week, we're going to look at uh, a text, uh, two chapters, eight and nine, that deal with this story about generosity. Now, you may be wondering, um, why are we going to talk about generosity? Typically, when someone like me, usually they're not wearing shorts, um, but a collar, as it were, maybe a suit and tie, stands up in front of people like you in a situation like this, you know. Um, it's a pretty, uh, pretty typical script, right? Uh, usually, the, you know, we're not doing well. Uh, the finances of the church kind of below what we anticipated really needs you to kind of, you know, come through and uh, be faithful members of the church, right? Um, I'm happy to report that is not the case. Um, this is arguably the most generous church I have ever worked at in my life. Though I'm not that old, I have worked at quite a few churches, uh, or I should say I've been doing this for quite a few years. Uh, and this is hands down the most generous group of people I've ever worked with and worked for. Um, and so I'm happy to say that the finances at Awaken are, are wonderful. We're in a great position. Um, the bank balance is really good uh, based on, you know, what's happening month to month. Uh, our leadership team believes that there's no reason to believe that the budget that you passed uh, in, at the annual meeting won't be fully funded unless something drastic changes. So, friends, everybody take a deep breath. This won't be that sermon. And I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for not putting me in an awkward position to have to do that because no pastor takes joy in that. I will say that. But it is a pretty typical script, and this is not that script. But I want to talk to you about, so why generosity? Why are we talking about this as we come back together? One reason um, in particular that I think is really, really important. For the last 18 months of our life, the assumptions, um, the, the sort of baseline, what is considered normal and natural, and even encouraged by um, many of our institutions and government officials, though not all, uh, many, uh, is this idea of um, closing in, um, even shutting down things like churches or in-person schools. Um, so, like, the things that you could use to describe our life, which is normal and natural for the last 18 months, is, you know, shrinking, um, closing in, 
protecting, self-protecting, and uh, for good reason, right? We, uh, in quarantine, it demanded that we sort of close in, that we draw in our circles, that uh, we shut things down, that uh, we would protect ourselves against a virus, and, and hopefully those that we love from transferring that to them. And it's all been about reduction, redaction, um, minimizing, distancing, isolation, right? These are all words that are normal and natural. And while I am all for and stand behind the decisions we've made as a leadership team and as a church, I'm proud of how we're walking this out, and um, I wouldn't change much. I want to just make sure that we all understand that all these things that I've described, which has been our life for the last 18 months, are directly and completely counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That the word about Jesus in the world is about uh, expansion. It's about um, generosity. It's about opening up, not closing down. It's about maximizing, not minimizing. It's about like being together, not isolated. So the very nature of the kingdom, the thing that we're doing every week called the church that you're living out in your lives, all these things that we consider normal and natural are very, very different than the things that we are living as normal and natural. Do you see what I'm saying? So as we come back together, we thought it would be important to say, hey, just a reminder, a little refresh on this one, that the nature of the church, the very thing that we're participating in, is opening up. We sing one song called Open Up, and I love that song because it's always like this deep-seated prayer that I have for our church, that God would do that in us. So that's why we want to talk about generosity this morning. And I'm going to do that by looking at a story from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and it's about two different churches, the Macedonian church and the Corinthian church. And if you know this story, you know that the Macedonian church is small. There's like the little church that could, you know. Uh, they gave, they, 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 what do they say? Uh, they fought above their weight class or something like that. They did way more than was expected or imagined that they could do. And, and the Corinthian church, on the other hand, is kind of like they are in the city. Like they've got uh, lots of people, um, wealthy people, well-to-do people. And Paul is making this plea to the Corinthian church in the story uh, or the letter to Corinth to say, look at what the Macedonians have done. So live into that to the church in Corinth. So that's where we're going we're gonna to go. And I'm just going to draw a couple of points out from this, these two chapters to sort of highlight some things that I think are important for us as we re-engage and we think about generosity. Is the church with the pastor today? Okay, thank you, Jenna. I appreciate that. You get paid for it. How about the rest of you? Okay, there we go. All right. So uh, number one, um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll, we'll start in verse 1 there. And usually I have you stand for the reading of the scripture. I'm going to be reading a bunch of different ones. So... Um, though we are in a Catholic church, and I, I haven't been to a Mass in a long time, I know there's a lot of standing and sitting. I'm just going to have you stay seated for the reading of the text. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. First and foremost, I want to start by saying this conversation about generosity is not about your money. Somehow the Macedonian church, which seems to be impoverished, doesn't have a lot of resources and money. Paul says there, something in them welled up, this generous gift welled up from their poverty. How is that possible? I think it's important for us to remember and to say out loud that generosity is not 
connected specifically, directly, or only to your money. And in a church, in this kind of setting, that's usually where it goes. Generosity is bigger than that, actually. It takes on many forms. It takes on the form of someone opening their home to welcome a stranger. It takes on um, those who, who play and who give of their passions and talents and gifts and who are in the back behind you every week doing the things that nobody sees but everybody sees, right? Um, it's about, it's like last week, it's about comfort. And will we be generous with the comfort that we've received from God and offer it to others? The Macedonians were impoverished with money, so their gift may not have been the largest gift going back to the church in Jerusalem. By the way, that's what's happening here. Paul is going around to the churches collecting a gift that would go back to Jerusalem, which is kind of like where it all begins. They're like the sending mother church. And so something happened there, and they were in need. And Paul says, hey, as the church, let's gather around them and let's give them this gift. So that's what he's doing. So their gift maybe wasn't the largest monetarily, but it was rooted in something deeper than money. It was the thing behind the thing. As a parent, I remember this moment vividly. I'm driving. Young parent. I've got two kids in the back. I don't even know if Lyndon was here yet. But one, child one, who shall remain nameless for anonymity's sake. Child one harms child two does something egregious, right? And as father, I say to child one, you need to say you're sorry to your sister. Now pause. As a mature parent who's got a few years under my belt, that was a bad move. If I had to do it over again, I would have said something like, child one, you've harmed your sister and you've hurt her. You need to ask her forgiveness because you've harmed her. And if you're sorry about that, if you regret that choice, I'd like you to communicate that, maybe by saying I'm sorry, (laughs) right? So I say, you need to say sorry to your sister, and we all know what happens next. Child one looks over and says, sorry. To which you're like, not a bone in her body meant the word she just spoke. But as a parent, I didn't care about the word she spoke. I was interested in the thing behind the thing, right? I was interested in the fact that she could see her sister and that she hurt her, harmed her, that she would think about someone other than herself, that she would recognize that her actions have consequences and that she can't just roam, go rogue around the world and think it's going to go well for her, you know, as a parent. I was interested in that, not I'm sorry. Generosity is similar. It's not the gift. It's not the money. It's not the dollar amount. It's not even the thing that you're giving, but it's the thing behind the thing. I think Jesus even tells a story about this, right? About a rich person who walk into the temple and they give all their money and they're like, hey, making it rain here, making it rain here. And then some small, insignificant widow who comes in and gives all that she has and Jesus is like that. That's what we're after. Because generosity is about the thing, generosity is the thing behind the thing. Generosity is what drives, it's the fuel, it's the engine for the world, for the universe, Because we come from generosity. That's the heart of God. That's what God is like, abundant, not scarce. And if we come from that, then of course you would look around the world and you'd think, oh, the way this thing goes forward, the way more love and more life happens is actually a generous act every time. The sunrise in the morning, the birds that are singing, the leaves that unfold, the flowers that show themselves. It's the generosity of God on display. You just might not have the words for it yet. So generosity is the thing behind the thing. And that, my friends, is what I'm trying to remind you of this morning. That's what I want you to get deep in your bones as you leave. That the church, the people of God, Jesus, who is the generosity of God on display, invites us to that path and that life. So it's not about your money. Awaken doesn't need your money. 
period. No caveats, no disclaimers, no buts. But as your pastor, I want deeply for you to understand and to come to terms with and come to live from a place of generosity where you recognize that everything you have, even the body you exist in, is gift. It's grace. And so you can hold it with open hands instead of closed fists because you understand that it's grace and gift. So it's not about your money. It might include your money. I hope it does because our money is really indicative of our hearts, right? Jesus tells us this. But it's not about your money. It's about something far deeper and far more important than that. Second, I think um, it's interesting that Paul says first to the Lord and then to us. If you keep going in chapter 5, he says, they urgently pleaded with us for this privilege to be sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Isn't that fascinating? I'm not even preaching about that. It's not even in my notes. They urged Paul, please don't let us, don't keep us out of this opportunity. Don't, the privilege of giving, of being generous. Verse 5, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. First to the Lord and then to us. What is Paul saying? I want to suggest that generosity, um, it has the potential, it has more potential for impact, for creating good tove in the world when it flows in a certain direction. Uh, how many of this old house watchers in the, in the house? Anybody? This old house? Praise, praise the Lord, I see you. How many here from Shelby County? All right, good. A couple, a lot more in first hour. If you guys feel like you need to switch to first hour to find your people, they are there, all right? Um, I love This Old House. It's one of my favorite TV shows. I, I just think it's so great. I love I, I, Tom Silva. Like, gosh, I just want to, like, sit in his lap, you know, and his mustache. And, man, he's so great. You know what I'm talking about. And I think you got, okay, if I wasn't doing this job, I think I could do Kevin O'Connor's job. I'm just saying, I think that would be so fun to host This Old House. So maybe you could pray for that if you want me to leave. Just be like, Lord, open up a door for Micah at This Old House. Um, but this old house, this isn't about this old house. It's about ductwork. Here's what I mean. If you watch this old house or other shows, you might learn something about building houses. And one of them is ducting. And so for ductwork and a house to work, there's a source. There's like an air conditioner and a furnace. And it has a blower on it. And it blows air up into this channel, this series of channels in your house. And those are called ducts. And then uh, there's a register in your room, and the air comes out of that duct. And then there's a return register somewhere else in that room where the air goes back towards and then through another series of ducts back down to the furnace. Everybody tracking so far? It's quite simple. It's just a loop, okay? But what's interesting about ducting is if you have a really long run, like 100 feet or something, by the time the air gets all the way to the end, it'll work if it's all one diameter. The air will come out of the duct at the end. But in order for it to be maximized, in order for it to have all the potential that was generated from its source, you actually have to, counterintuitive, you have to reduce the ducts as it goes down the run so that the velocity of the air matches it when it first comes out of the blower. That's free. Why am I telling you about duct work? It'll work. Generosity, human to human, it works. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's, 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 it's quite it's alarming, actually, because so, so much of our world is the opposite of this, gener generous. I want to suggest, though, that when it flows in a certain direction, it, like, maximizes the potential. What do I mean by that? 
Paul says they gave first to the Lord. When our generosity, when our gifts of generosity, when they first go to the Lord as a, as a recognition of the source from which they came, they have the capacity and the potential to be maximized with something that you don't have. And that, my friends, is called resurrection power. It's the kind of power that raises Jesus from the dead. It's the kind of power that heals the sick and, and uh, gives sight to the blind, that makes the lame walk. It's the kind of power that's talked about in the New Testament. It's the kind of power that I don't have. When we pray on Sunday mornings before you get here, if you come you will, and you stay long enough for enough weeks, at some point you will hear me, hear me pray this prayer. God, I pray that you would take these loaves and these fishes and that you would feed the thousands. You would feed the masses. That you would do something with these meager gifts of generosity, of a fish and, and a loaf of bread. But that you would take them because we give them back to you. And that you would infuse them with the power that I don't have, that you don't have. And in doing so, that they would tap into a source that created the universe. Generosity, when it flows in a certain direction, can change the world. First to the Lord, Paul says. Which is about posture. It's about how you see the things you have. It's about how you see the world and what you think God is like, which is why I always talk about it. First to the Lord and then to us. This is usually where the sermon by the church pastor gets a little crazy, you know, a little weird. We're praying to the Lord for a jet. Give to the church because we need a new hot tub. Yeah. Paul says they first gave to the Lord and then to us. Who's us? Who's, who's Paul to the Macedonians? He's their pastor. He's one of their spiritual leaders. So Paul says they gave first to the Lord and then they gave to us, which did not fund Paul's hot tub fund, which did not fund Paul's like hobbies, new fly rods or whatnot. No, it funded something that us had in common, which was a vision a mission to do something in the world as the church. So when Paul says they gave to us, what Paul means is they gave to what the Lord had called the church to do. So I'm going to stand right here, flat-footed, square-shouldered, and look you straight in the eye and say, first, give to the Lord, and then give to us. By us, I mean us. Because I believe God has called this church and all churches that represent Jesus to do and be something in the world. And that takes resource, it takes time, it takes talent, it takes treasure, it takes something to move this thing into the world, infused with resurrection power, because we first give to the Lord, and then the church, and then the people of God. But I'm going to say to you, are you invested in the work of God in the world? And if not, I pray that you would be. Not for me. Not to pat, not to send my kids to school. If Awaken stops, Jenna and I and Trevor and all the rest of us, Mel, Jane, Kathy, now I've gone all the way, I have to say everybody's name, right? Like, we'll all find new jobs. This thing is not being like, Mandy, I see you. Did I forget anybody? Yes, yeah, I got Jess. I think I got everybody. the institute, we're not, we're not asking to, to, for you to participate in the institution because the institution needs to, like, sustain itself because we need jobs. No. It's because we believe in the, in, in the mission, in the thing that God's called us to do and be in the world. And so I would invite you as people who call Awaken Home to be involved, to be invested with your time, with your talent, with your treasure. Does it include your money? Sure. We don't have a product that we sell at the market. So it has to be us. 
first to the Lord and then to us. And I would say, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, give what you've decided in your heart to give. Friends, a lot of times when churches talk about this thing and pastors talk about it, it's like you got to give 10% because that's the law, because that's what the Bible says, because if you don't erase, control, alt, delete, what matters most is your heart and that it is engaged. And so determine in your own heart. Look at what Paul says in chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. By the way, in chapter 9, he's quoted three different Old Testament passages, and they're all saying the same thing about God and the nature of resources and our hearts. I would encourage you to go back and look it up if you, if you do more Bible study during the week. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. This is Proverbs. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you, give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I would say, so does Pastor Micah. I don't want you to give, you know, your time and talent and treasure because you're just like, oh, gosh, the church just needs me. That's like you sitting in the back saying, sorry. I don't want your sorry. I want you to want it. I want you to believe in it. I want you to say, I'm in because this is my church. These are my people, and we believe in what God's doing here. And if you do, then I hope you're like, where's the line? Where do I sign up? How do I get involved? That's what I hope for. That's what I want. I don't want people like begrudgingly, that's just, nobody likes those people when they come to the party. And I don't want you to be the people nobody likes at the party. Give what you've decided in your heart to give. Spend some time thinking about your life and decide, do I want to live from generosity or do I think that there's scarcity? Do I believe that, the the call to worship? Am I under the influence that there's not enough to go around in our beer and our sex and our money and our everything? It's all going down and I got to get mine while it can. I grew up in that house. My brothers and I are like the golden rule of the Witham house was do unto others quick before they do it to you. That's scarcity. That's not abundance. That is, does not reflect the nature of the divine. If God is God and Jesus is who he said he was, then there's a different story being played. Can you hear the melody, friends? And if you can, then let's just start dancing. That's all ideological. Very practically speaking, when I do talk to people about giving at Awaken, I would say four things. Sacrificial, proportional, regular, and cheerful. I hope that you're giving not only of your resources, but your time and your talent, your home, your comfort, whatever it is you have to offer generously, that it would be sacrificial, that it would be a stretch for you so that you're not completely dependent upon yourself all the time. That's not a good recipe for a spiritual life that does well. But where you're like stretched a little and you're like, okay, God, we trust you. That's what I want. That's the moment. That's the space. So sacrificial. It shouldn't be like super easy. Like you don't even feel it. Proportional. For those of you that are further along in life, you've got careers and you've been able to, you know, hone your skills, you probably make more. Great. Give more. For those of you that are younger and you're just starting out and maybe you're trying to figure things out, you probably have less. Okay. Fine. Proportional. Right? I I live by Somerset Country Club over here in in Mendota. I love this place. It's one of the most 
beautiful golf courses in the Twin Cities. Nobody plays it. They have like 200 members. At the end of the year, let's just say for the sake of the illustration, it costs $2 million to run the, cl the club for the year. They just send a letter to 200 members and divide it 200 ways and say, here's your bill. <laughs> that's not how we run the church, friends. <laughs> You're welcome. You should be like, oh, that's good. No, that's not how we run the church. So, cheer, sacrificial, proportional, regular. I cannot stand here and tell you that discipline doesn't bear fruit. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's like wisdom, straight from the scriptures, but also other sacred texts. So if other people are saying it, it's got to be true. Regular, commit to something and do it. And then lastly, cheerful. Honest to God, if you can't give your time, your talent, your treasure, your very life to the purposes, to the mission of God, cheerfully, then just don't, because God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your, your begrudged gift, because it's not about that. It's about the thing behind the thing. So how do you show up when you offer a gift? Is it a gift, or are there strings attached? Man, that, that's, that's wisdom right there, like learning how to become the person who gives, like, actual gift to people. I'll close with this. The whole thing, all of this, everything I've said, everything I think Paul is saying, so that, we're back to where we started last week, so that the love and generosity of God is on display in the world. Friends, Paul is convinced to the Macedonians and the Corinthians, that the Macedonian gift, that their living generosity, their, their generous living that's welling up from their community is actually a part of the proclamation of the good news about Jesus in the world. If you were to go to Times Square, and there are lots of people around, and you were to just ask people, how do you know what God is like? Or just go to like a, the next work party you're at, you know, if you want to have some fun. How do you know what God is like? If God exists, how do you know what God is like? I'd be willing to bet you the money in my tray in my closet, which is $50 I just sold. <laughs> Do you guys ever pick something up on the road and you have just great intentions for it, and then it sits in your garage for like a year and a half, and your wife or husband or partner is like, I told you you weren't going to do that. Yeah, that happened yesterday. You know what a uh, Hoosier cabinet is? Those like really cool old cabinets that were in a bake, like a kitchen. They have a baker's top and whatever. I mean, those are super cool. Found one on the road. I'm like, I'm going to restore that thing. And Laura's like, I'm pretty sure you're not. I was like, no, this is going to be awesome. This is gonna be so I'm gonna Yesterday I sold it. I made $50. It's in my tray in my closet. That's what I will give you if you, I'm willing to bet that money that one of the common answers that you'll get is, well, just look at the people who say they know God. How do you know what God is like? If you ask that question, I guarantee you one of the answers that you will get is look at the people who claim to know that God. Friends, when we live stingy, when we live with our decrepit little hands so tight around the things that we think are ours, people think that's what God is like. And I'm pretty sure... I know lots of you, I don't know all of you, but I know that many of you would say that's not what God is like. So Paul says when the church lives generously, sacrificially, giving itself away for the sake of its neighbor, people think that's what God is like. 
So friends, if you want to proclaim the gospel, if you think there's good news in the world that Jesus has made God known to us and died and was resurrected on the third day and will come again and return and redeem and re... If you think all that's true and that's good news, then how you live your life matters because if you get connected to that story and you live in ways that are opposite of what God is like, people will think that's what God is like. And if you ask your neighbors around the street, what is God like? What do you think they would say? Which is a general us question, not a you and your neighbor question. One of the ways that we can say from the rooftops that God is God, that God is like Jesus, is by living with open hands. Recognizing that everything we have is gift. It's all grace. And when we give it back and recognize its, its source, that it has the potential to be something that I cannot do and become something I cannot create in the world. Two plus two becomes five. And so will we live those kinds of lives where everything we have is gift and grace and we hold it that way. And we, we offer generously our time and our talent and our treasure and our comfort and our homes and our cars and our fly rods and whatever it else is that you have. Why? So that Micah and Jenna and the staff have jobs. No. So that the generosity and love of God is known in the world. I'm going to say that again, and then I'm going to end this sermon because it's the last thing I want you to hear. I want you to learn if you, and, and by the way, I know that many of you already are. So hear me say, I see you, I hear you, I love you, I appreciate you, keep going, okay? I want us to learn the deep, profound wisdom of becoming the kinds of people that the call to worship invites us to be so that the love and generosity of God is on display in the world. Amen? Pray with me, and I'll give you a moment of silence to hear what the Spirit might be saying to you, which could very well be something I have not said. God, in the next few moments of silence, we trust you to the degree that we can. I trust you. So I'll trust for maybe some who are a little nervous or skeptical. To the degree that we can, we trust that uh, you're good, that you're light, that you are who you say you are in Jesus. And that you invite us to a way of being human in the world that is not about isolation or reduction or distance or closing in, but one that invites us to open up like the flowers of spring, like the sun that rises in the morning, like the birds that open their mouths and sing for beauty. That you invite us to be those kinds of people because generosity fuels is the engine of the universe. And so God, help us to hear that song. Help us to hear that melody among competing noises and songs and melodies that may be playing in our lives, in our culture, in our world that say, no, there's not enough. You gotta get yours while you can. Help us to hear the song of the kingdom which says that there is enough. There's enough for me, for my neighbor, for all. So set the table for everybody. God, help us to be those kinds of people. So Holy Spirit, do your work in us, I pray.
as we close this morning, uh, we're going to sing a couple of songs. One will be sort of sung over you as a prayer or reminder. Um, but as that happens, I uh, want to remind you that our prayer space is open. Uh, there are communion elements to my right and left. You're welcome to come forward if you'd like to participate in communion. Uh, the bread is gluten-free. The cups are labeled juice and wine. So we'd invite you to take a piece of bread, the body of Christ broken for you, and dip it into the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. And to receive the gifts of God, generously given, right? Um, so, invite you to that. To the church called Awaken. Grateful to be on the journey with you. And hoping that we continue to live into this vision of generosity. That when people come in contact with you, with us, that this is what they know about God. That God is generous. That God is abundant. That there is not scarcity, but always more. So, uh, before I offer this benediction to you, a couple things we want to remind you of that are happening. There's a spiritual direction informational session happening. August 23rd, I think it is. Yep. Uh, you can register for that online by the 16th. So if you're interested in spiritual, spiritual direction, please take note of that. Uh, there is a Camp Create, another, another week of that, another iteration of that. Those are happening. So kids in the room, if you're interested, let your parents know. Um, you can find that information online. And then just a continued reminder as we kind of ramp back up into being together, um, ways that you can be involved at, at the church, uh, lots of them. So if you're interested in that at all, let us know. You can click on all kinds of things on the website and learn about it. So, uh, Receive this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.